Hello, and welcome to Eyes on Success, a weekly program of information on the ever-changing world of accessibility. Now here are the hosts of this program, Nancy Goodman Torpy and Peter Torpy. Hello, I'm Nancy. And I'm Pete. This week, we'll be talking about a novel system for allowing blind individuals to explore an image through a variety of sensory feedback mechanisms. We'll speak with Shruti Suresh and Ting Zhang, co-founders of HapDimage, and both currently graduate students in engineering at Purdue University, about this novel technology, the motivation behind it, and how it works. But first for our tip of the week. This week's tip comes from Shruti Suresh. One of the things that I've kind of learned through this is just to be open to anything and everything and stepping out of your comfort zone is a thing that I think a lot of people are scared of. But my number one tip would just be to take that risk and make something happen and make a change in the world. Excellent. I mean, really, if we never step out of our comfort zone, we never learn anything new or experience anything new. And this is a situation, as you'll learn later, where Shruti and Ting took a concept that was the result of a school assignment and have really run with it and are making something quite useful out of it. Support for Eyes on Success is provided by Ira, an app that remotely connects people who are blind or have low vision to trained agents for access to visual information. Details are available at 1-800-835-1934. You are listening to Eyes on Success. 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 Let's start by meeting Shruti and Ting and learning about their academic research projects. So we have two people with us today. Shruti, can you start by introducing yourself? Yeah, um, so I'm Shruti Suresh. I am a PhD student at the Weldon School for Biomedical Engineering at Purdue University, and I am from Indonesia. And Ting? So I'm Ting Zhang. I'm a PhD candidate at the School of Industrial Engineering of Purdue University, and I'm from China. How far along in your PhD programs are you? I'll be starting my third year in the PhD program. So this is my, hopefully, the last year of my PhD. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've been through PhD programs. We know about that, hopefully, modifier. <laughs> <laughs> Does either of you have a visual impairment? Uh, no, we're both com uh, completely sighted, but we do have a lab that works with people with various levels of visual impairment. In fact, one of our postdocs in the lab is actually a person who is blind, and he was actually the inspiration for this project. I'm curious, what are your dissertations about? Yours must be well along, Ting. So this project is from my like master thesis about like uh, helping people who have visual impairments understand digital images using multi-model sensory feedback. So we have like a haptic controller, we have vibration devices, and we have like audio speakers that can generate uh, information visually to those different sensors. And then your PhD dissertation is an extension of that. 
So my PhD dissertation is more uh, towards the machining side of the technology, so we can have more like a smart interface that understand what the blind user is doing on the image and how we can better help them. Oh, cool. And Shruti, have you picked a topic yet? Yes, actually. So I work on the other spectrum of things where I have people that have some form of upper limb or lower limb impairment. And I'm basically looking at specifically a fight or flight response. So especially in people with spinal cord injuries, there's an overreaction of that. So we're just trying to see if we can predict when it happened and kind of help improve their quality of life. Well, great. Isn't it great that we have these two students who are not only getting an education for themselves, but in the process are developing technology to help so many other people. Support for Eyes on Success is made possible in part by our corporate partners. Find out more about partnership opportunities by sending an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net. This week's focus topic is the haptimage technology, the motivation behind it, and how it works. Before we get to some of the motivation, maybe one of you can give us sort of the elevator pitch about what haptimage is. So haptimage is a technology that allows individuals who have visual impairments to access images in real time. And this means through a variety of sensing technologies. So like Ting said, we do haptics, we do sound, we do vibration, and all these represent a specific element of the image itself. And the motivation behind this effort was? So the motivation is more about helping uh, kids or students who have visual impairments to uh, catch up with their sighted peers in the classroom so they like they can also get instant like, access to images as their um, friends. And because for right now, what uh, the way they are getting images is from like uh, paper-based, like tactile uh, graphics, which always takes like days or hours to print. But like with our technology, we can give them real-time access to digital images. Well, that would certainly be nice. And how did you two manage to hook up? You're in, both in different departments. Yeah, so we actually have an advisor in common. Uh, so Dr. Brad Durstock, who's also the CEO of the company, is our main advisor. And he has a lab which caters specifically to people with several disabilities. So it ranges from people with visual impairments all the way to people with mobility impairments. And we develop assistive technologies for them in this lab. Well, that sounds really great. So that's a nice feature to be able to have visually impaired and blind people access images in a quick fashion and in detail. Absolutely, yeah. Yes, exactly. Can you tell us a little bit more about exactly how the system works? Is there special hardware or software involved? What goes on here? Um, so I'm not sure how like you are familiar with uh, haptics and like haptic devices. So haptic device has been used like a lot in virtual reality and in gaming systems to like the, the user feel what is the forces like in the virtual environment. So what uh, our technology uses like is the same thing. So we create like an image, so a digital image. We took a digital image and we create like a 3D model of the image. 
for example, like we can use image processing techniques to understand what are the boundaries of the objects on the image and what are the textures or what are the different patterns. And we can create like a height for uh, certain areas like the boundary so we can increase the boundary. So when they are using the haptic device to explore the image, they can feel uh, like a resistance against them going inside the object so they can actually trace the borders. So I'm familiar with the haptics on, say, for instance, our smartphones, where it vibrates to simulate a button press or a keyboard press or vibrates for other events. But you're saying as I move my finger across some display, I can actually feel some texture changes or a larger amount of vibration. How does that, exactly does that work? So in haptics, it's different than like a vibration. So we have a device alone that uh, can give you like three-dimensional uh, freedom. So it's like a stylus. Think about a like controller and you hold the controller like a pen and you can move around in 3D spaces. And when you are moving around, it will map with the virtual environment so you can feel what's going on in the virtual environment. Oh, so the pen essentially knows where you are in the figure, and you're getting this sensory feedback from holding the pen, right? Yes, exactly. Interesting. So uh, this technology doesn't only use haptics. So besides this, this force feedback, you also have uh, vibrations and sounds. So, for example, in our case, we have the darkness of the color mapped to the vibrational amplitude. So if it's darker, you will feel stronger vibration. And we have the color information encoded into like uh, audio cues. So if you press a button on the device, you can hear what is the color you are feeling. So does it actually speak the color or you hear a different pitch? They will speak the name of the color, like the red, purple, pink, blue... Oh, that's nice. Yeah. In addition, we could also tune it to the fact that maybe a color on the spectrum could be a higher pitch as well. So if people are more audio-based listeners and that's how they understand things, they could definitely alter the way that each of these different uh, modalities of sort are expressed. So I understand one of your initial test cases was representing a slide of some blood cells. And... To me, that would be the entire image would be red. How would you actually represent, you know, the different colorations within a slide of blood cells, for example? So that requires some like image processing of the image. What we did first is like to separate the foreground and the background. So the important information is in the foreground and we keep the background as clear as we can so you won't get noisy or additional feedback if you're, if you're on the background. Now you're talking about having a pen with some sensory feedback and I assume it glides across some surface. What is it? In our first prototype, we're developing on the iPad. So essentially if you load an image on iPad, you could use the stylus to essentially move around the screen of the iPad, and each time it comes across an image that can be translated, it allows the vibration, the haptic feedback, and the audio feedback to come through the iPad itself. So that way you have the haptic feedback going on your stylus, you also have the sound coming out of the iPad, and so on. So essentially if someone has an iPad and 
some special software that you've supposedly developed and one of these pens, you can run such a system. Is that right? This is true. Eventually, we're hoping it'll be an app that you have on your iPad. So you just have to open the app, load your image, and essentially we'll do the rest for you. Oh, that's nice. So you talk about loading an image on the iPad. I assume this is general speak for you could get this image however you can get an image onto the iPad. You can use the built-in camera. You can find it on a website. You can get it in an email. Is that right? That's absolutely right. Yeah. So that's what we're hoping will be the prototype when we actually have it ready for sale is it's going to be a device that you can use for any image that you have access to. So to take your initial motivation of helping students, if the professor is showing something on the board, you can take a picture of it. If the professor has sent out the PowerPoint slides ahead of time, you can have that on your iPad already. Exactly. Yeah, that are the applications we thought about. Yes. That's fabulous. And not just for students, you know, when you get out in the real world, you'll be going to meetings and people will be showing images all the time and, you know, trying to read a book and wherever you get information from, there's going to be images. You got it. Yeah. So the idea behind this is just to make sure that anyone who has a visual impairment has real time access to these images. And in our world, which is becoming so amazingly digital, this is something that's very crucial for someone that has a visual impairment. Yeah, it sounds very useful, both for pictorial images, as Nancy described, the blood samples and blood cells, but I guess especially for things like graphics and maps and seeing the edges and lines and trends. Yep, you're right, Peter. We just moved a couple of years ago and to try to orient Pete to, we moved cross-country, our new environment. I took a paper map and some fabric paint and drew on all of the major roads so that he could then feel where things were in our new neighborhood. But let me tell you, this would have been a lot more convenient. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, we're hoping so, <laughs> like definitely. So we do want to substitute things like that. So the lower tech sort of things, like the kindergarten tools that a lot of teachers use, in fact, in schools today to explain concepts to kids that have a visual impairments is something that was one of the factors that motivated us to actually make this a tech for education because we want to encourage kids that are blind or have visual impairments to go into STEM and not be afraid of it because there's so many images that you have in fields like STEM that may make someone that has a visual impairment feel like they can't learn as fast as their sighted peers. Right. As they say, a picture is worth a thousand words. And if you're not used to a method for assimilating those pictures at an early age, it can be quite intimidating. Absolutely. Absolutely. So this pen that's used in the system, is that something that's commercially available as a separate part, or is that something that you had to design also? So the devices, like we tested in my research, is a desktop device that sits there and is off the shelf. You can get it from the manufacturers. Developing involves like a much smaller scale device that is portable and can be connected like wirelessly to your iPad. So this stylus, can you control how big of an area it's looking at? 
Or do you just have to zoom in and out on the image and have a fixed size spot that the stylus is looking at? So we're hoping to make it something that's a little flexible in the sense that whatever image you have throughout the screen of your iPad, you'll be able to access it. So if you want to zoom in, you'll probably have to zoom in and let the software do a little bit of updating before you could feel a zoomed in version of the image. So you zoom the image. So you don't have to zoom the image, but if yeah. you are interested in zooming it, that's definitely a functionality we want people to have is if they want to look at something that's a tiny little speck on the image, they would be able to zoom in and get details about that tiny little speck. Got it. So you're working on both hardware and software to optimize an entire system here. So we've been working with a company up in Canada called Haply, and they've actually been helping us with the hardware side of things. We are primarily looking at developing software in the app that our users can get access to. Got it. So you're actually in the process of commercializing this now. As you pointed out, you formed a company, right? Yes, yeah. correct. So Ting and I are the co-founders, and our professor, Brad Doerstock, is the CEO of the company. And yeah, so we started the company in May of last year. And so far, we've been good with trying to develop the technology Mm -hmm. and coming up with a business case for it where, you know, we can actually get a tech like this out into the hands of a user to beta test. And what has been your biggest challenge to date in developing this integrated technology? Well, I think the biggest challenge we've had is kind of lack of access to resources, such as maybe manpower. Uh, so the technology is very high tech at the moment. Yes. So we're trying to find a way to make it something that can work on an iPad, for instance, and not require a lot of computational power. Um, we're also focusing heavily on the real-time aspect of it mm -hmm. and making sure that all the information comes through in the shortest amount of time possible. Yeah, yeah because we want this to be wireless. We don't uh, want to use serial communication. So transferring data packages over the internet like it needs to be handled like very efficiently so the forces are correctly uh, uh, rendered and users can feel them correctly. And are these design problems that you're currently still wrestling with or are you close to solving some of these issues? We're in the process um, of finding how it works and so recently we've been awarded an NSF grant um, which will help us with further developing the technology and making sure this is something ready for commercialization. Oh, great. That's exciting to get the NSF grant to yeah. help this along. Congratulations. That's yeah. a big deal. Thank you. So clearly the government believes in our technology, so we're really excited about that. And I thought I saw on your website that you were trying to partner with some blindness organizations. Is that right? Yes, absolutely. So we are actually in conversations with the Texas School for the Blind and Visually Impaired, as well as our local Indiana School for the Blind both of them have been extremely open to the idea of us maybe beta testing the device with students there um, and integrating the system itself into their curriculum to see if it will help improve interest in STEM or even maybe make students' understanding of specific concepts more accurate and yeah, better. Or making the teaching easier and uh, so teachers can focus more on how to express the concept rather than creating the images themselves. And is the design far enough along that you've had the opportunity to have blind individuals test the prototype system? 
So the prototype system isn't ready for use yet, but the first minimum viable product that we have is based entirely on Ting's research. Um, and we've actually had a lot of people that are blind try out the device, and they've been extremely excited by the idea that they have so many concepts that make more sense to them now. That's great. Ting, I heard you say that you think you only have about a year left in your PhD program. How will you be able to stay connected with the Haptimage project after you're finished? I guess um, that's a question that I haven't think about. <laughs> but, but I think I would like to keep in touch with uh, Shruti and the whole team to see what's going on in the technology development and if they need anything from me, like any like uh, suggestions or technical uh, guidance I can provide. I'd love to put my effort into it. And she's hoping that she ends in a year. <laughs> <laughs> and you're hoping it takes her longer, right? Well, uh, not really. And we're friends, so I don't want to sabotage her happiness. <laughs> so one way for me to stay here after graduating is like to be a postdoc, and so I can keep working on this project. There's a clever idea. You know, it's always interesting to us with our backgrounds as research scientists at Xerox and developing upstream products, how long it takes from concept to actual productization. There's a lot of work that needs to be done after you come up with the concept. Absolutely, yeah. So Ting and I have been fortunate that we have an amazing uh, foundation here at Purdue that actually enables us to learn about the commercialization side of things. And so the Purdue Research Foundation has the foundry um, and they have been a crucial part of us kind of moving this technology forward, you know, finding ways to make sure that potential users can make the most of the technology. So it doesn't just sit around in the lab. It can actually translate into being out there in the field. So we did our customer discovery and uh, get feedback from the foundry. We have like an entrepreneur in residence that helps us uh, direct our paths for commercialization. I think that helps us a lot. I guess a lot of universities have that type of system these days to try to make some practical output from the work of their people doing research and all and help people make these designs and concepts into products. Do they actually help fund the project or are they mostly giving you advice along the way? So the interesting thing is Purdue's foundry actually has a lot of competitions that encourage young entrepreneurs to kind of go out there and pitch their ideas to a group of investors or even to a group of individuals who are judging you. And we've been fortunate enough that we've won a couple of competitions and we've also been given uh, several awards from the Purdue Foundry and from the Purdue Research Foundation to actually move this technology forward. Oh, great. Have you actually started talking to venture capitalists yet? We haven't gotten to the state of venture capitalists yet, but we did have a black award, which is basically from Elevate Ventures um, in Indiana. And they've actually been doing some seed funding. And I think that's what we received. The black award that we received was for the development of the technology and kind of has helped us um, hire interns and get technologies that we need to move the process forward. Oh, that's great. That's just really great. Well, that has to be a lot of fun and very rewarding. Yes, absolutely. So Ting and I have not been necessarily involved with the business 
side of things, that's mainly Brad's responsibility where he takes on the role of CEO and he makes the decisions of the company itself. Well, those are very different skills and you need a variety of skills in any company from some of the researchers to the marketing, to the sales, to the business people. It, it, it kind of takes a village. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I wish you people and your team good luck in bringing this project to fruition. And I hope you find a way to stay involved even after you get your degrees and follow it even further. You are listening to Eyes on Success. Success, 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 success. Now for this week's final item, how to learn more about Haptimage and how to contact Shruti and Ting. So if people would like to find out more about your project, where would you send them? So people can go to haptimage.com. That's our website. Um, we can also be reached at haptimage at gmail.com. And we also have a Twitter account. So we're at haptimage. Can you spell haptimage? Yeah. So it's H-A-P-T-I-M-A-G-E. So it's haptics plus image, essentially. That's like the best way to remember it. Great. And yeah, if anyone's interested in learning more about the technology, we're more than happy to talk to them. And if they are interested in beta testing the prototype when it's available, we're more than happy to have them sign up and kind of be part of our initial testers. Great. We are also looking for different types of like haptic interaction. If anybody has uh, experience, we'd love to like be connected and uh, have discussions. And one of the very rewarding parts of running this show over the years is that we've been able to put people in touch with each other and one direction or the other. And oftentimes both people are able to give each other help and advice. And wouldn't it be great if some of our listeners got in touch with Shrusi and Ting and were able to help make this project a success? Well, good luck to you guys. This sounds like an exciting project, a lot of energy in it, and uh, it's, it's a great idea. You know, hopefully you can get this going efficiently and productize it so the cost is right, you know, so people can acquire it. And all tough hurdles, but they can be done. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. That's what we're hoping to. Great. And good luck with your education as well. That's also a big deal. Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. So as usual, if you're looking for any of that contact information or you want to connect with the researchers doing this project, you can go to our show notes at www.eyesonsuccess.net and find all of that information. And of course, if you want to contact us, you can find us at the email hosts at eyesonsuccess.net. And if you want to contact each other, we've set up a discussion group via Google Groups, and how would they do that? You send an email to EOS underscore discuss, followed by the plus sign, followed by subscribe at googlegroups.com. And then you can post your own thoughts and share them with other listeners in that forum. That's it for show number 1941. Next week on Eyes on Success, we'll be talking about voting rights. Although the availability of accessible voting methods for people with disabilities has improved over the years, there is still a long way to go. 
We will speak with attorney Scott Labar and technical specialist Curtis Chang about their work with the National Federation for the Blind and others to help improve voting access for people with visual impairments and other disabilities. If you have any questions regarding something you've heard about on the show, or you'd like to share an idea for a future show, send an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net. You've been listening to Eyes on Success, hosted and produced by Nancy Goodman Torpy and Peter Torpy and distributed by WXXI Reach Out Radio. Browse the full archive of programs, find instructions for subscribing to the podcasts, and much more at www.eyesonsuccess.net. You can also find us on iTunes and follow us on Facebook at Eyes on Success or Twitter at underscore Eyes on Success. We hope you will join us again next week for more information and updates on products for accessible living. Thanks for listening to Eyes on Success and have a nice day.